Merry Christmas. I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Oh, I'm so glad you joined me today. We're going to have a great time together. Uh, we got a great show, uh, but before we get into all of it, Merry Christmas. How did your Christmas go? Uh, did you have fun, right? Did you know? Did, did what was the favorite gift? And some, whether that was a gift that you received or whether that was a, a gift that you gave and got to receive the expression on their face when they opened it up. What was your favorite gift? Uh, why don't you let me know that over on social media? Let me and the whole world know. Facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Uh, and let me know what your favorite gift was and maybe some tradition that you do at your house that just makes it Christmas. You know, uh, for us, we always go to midnight mass and it's always a um, it's always a, an experience, right? When you've got five small children and uh, but it's it's an experience that we wouldn't trade. Uh, and so for us, that's really part of Christmas. Well, today we're going to be reading from today's readings, December 26th, uh, and it's the, the martyrdom of St. Stephen. And the church has given us this reading today for a reason. And we're going to be exploring that today with our guest. Uh, later on the show, we have Charles Beard. He's a member of the St. Zeta Catholic Worker Community up in Green Country, up in northeastern Oklahoma. He also happens to be a very good friend of mine. And so we'll get to, to his uh, interview in just a moment when we get through this first segment. But as always, we're going to start our time together with our readings uh, from the scripture and from church history. And, uh, and we'll start off with a prayer. So today's prayer, today's readings, and today's reading from uh, church history all come from today, from the Feast of St. Stephen, uh, either the breviary or the lectionary. And so if you have any of those, you can, you can follow right along. So let's begin, as always, in prayer. Our Savior's faithfulness is mirrored in the fidelity of his witnesses who shed their blood for the word of God. Let us praise him in remembrance of them. You redeemed us by your blood. Your martyrs freely embrace death in bearing the witness for faith. Give us the true freedom of the Spirit, O Lord. Your martyrs professed their faith by shedding their blood. Give us a faith, O Lord, that is constant and pure. Your martyrs followed in your footsteps by carrying the cross. Help us to endure courageously the misfortunes of life. Your martyrs washed their garments in the blood of the Lamb. Help us to avoid the weaknesses of flesh and worldly allurements. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, today we celebrate the entrance of St. Stephen into eternal glory. He died praying for those who killed him. Help us to imitate his goodness and love our enemies. 
We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Today's first reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 6. Stephen, filled with grace and power, was working great wonders and signs among the people. Certain members of the so-called synagogue of freedmen, Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and people from Sicilia and Asia, came forward and debated with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. When they heard this, they were infuriated, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked up intently to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out in a loud voice, covered their ears, and rushed upon him together. They threw him out of the city and began to stone him. The witnesses laid down their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 6. Today's responsorial psalm is Psalm 31. Into your hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. Be my rock of refuge, a stronghold to give me safety. You are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. Into your hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. Into your hands I commend my spirit. You will redeem me, O Lord, O faithful God. I will rejoice and be glad because of your mercy. Into your hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. Rescue me from the clutches of my enemies and my persecutors. Let your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your kindness. Into your hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. Today's gospel comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of men, for they will hand you over to courts and scourge you in their synagogues, and you will be led before governors and kings for my sake, as witnesses before them and the pagans. When they hand you over, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say. You will be given at that moment what you are to say. For it will not be you who speak, but the, the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will hand over brother to death, and father his child. Children will rise up against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but whoever endures to the end will be saved. That reading, that gospel, comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. Today we read out of church history a sermon from St. Fulgentius of Ruspe. Yesterday we celebrated the birth and time of our eternal king. Today we celebrate the triumphant suffering of his soldier. Yesterday our king, clothed in his robe of flesh, left his place in the virgin's womb and graciously visited the world. Today his soldier leaves the tabernacle of his body and goes triumphantly to heaven. Our king, despite his exalted majesty, came in humility for our sake. Yet he did not come empty-handed. 
He brought his soldiers a great gift that not only enriched them, but also made them unconquerable in battle. For it was the gift of love, which was to bring men to share in his divinity. He gave his bounty, yet without any loss to himself. In a marvelous way, he changed into wealth the poverty of his faithful followers while remaining in full possession of his own inexhaustible riches. And so the love that brought Christ from heaven to earth raised Stephen from earth to heaven. Shown first in the king, it later shone forth in his soldier. Love was Stephen's weapon, by which he gained every battle, and so won the crown signified by his name. His love of God kept him from yielding to the ferocious mob. His love for his neighbor made him pray for those who were stoning him. Love inspired him to reprove those who erred, to make them amend. Love led him to pray for those who stoned him, to save them from punishment. Strengthened by the power of his love, he overcame the raging cruelty of Saul and won his persecutor on earth as his companion in heaven. In his holy and tireless love, he longed to gain by prayer those whom he could not convert by admonition. Now at last, Paul rejoices with Stephen. With Stephen, he delights in the glory of Christ. With Stephen, he exalts. With Stephen, he reigns. Stephen went first, slain by stones thrown by Paul. But Paul followed after, helped by the prayer of Stephen. This surely is the true life, my brothers, a life in which Paul feels no shame because of Stephen's death, and Stephen delights in Paul's companionship, for love fills them both with joy. It was Stephen's love that prevailed over the cruelty of the mob, and it was Paul's love that covered the multitude of his sins. It was love that won for both of them the kingdom of heaven. Love, indeed, is the source of all good things. It is an impregnable defense and the way that leads to heaven. He who walks in love can neither go astray nor be afraid. Love guides him and protects him and brings him to his journey's end. My brothers, Christ made love the stairway that would enable all Christians to climb to heaven. Hold fast to it, therefore, in all sincerity. Give one another practical proof of it, and by your progress in it, make your ascent together. That reading again comes from St. Fulgentius of Ruspa. And it's a challenging reading, uh, both that and the readings from Scripture. Uh, the conversation we're going to have here in a bit, it's a challenging thing because it means we can't just be status quo, right? We can't just continue on living our life as if the only thing that mattered was us living our life, right? The, the incarnation is the, the linchpin of history. It's that on which everything else in history turns. Uh, at least in our Western calendar, of course, the, the incarnation of Christ, the birth of Jesus Christ changed our calendar, uh, everything that we base our dates on, even if you go into the very politically correct before common era and common era, as opposed to before Christ and in the year of our Lord, uh, 
even then, if you change the names, it's still on that date. It's on that the common era began with Christ. And so everything changes with the birth of Christ. And that's required of us as well. Everything within us has to change. And it's not just uh, a you and, and Jesus, a me and Jesus kind of Christianity that, oh, I, I have my relationship with Jesus Christ and it changes me internally and I'm a better person. Well, that, that's part of it. Absolutely. We are reconciled to God the Father through the work of Jesus Christ, uh, through his, the Paschal Mystery, his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. But it's more than that. St. Paul said in one of his letters to the Corinthians, he said that Christ became the, the, the sin for us. Christ became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, St. Athanasius said that God became man so that man might become God. And so not that we are going to be divine, but that we are clothing ourselves in the divine nature. We are partakers in that divine nature. Uh, and we are now ambassadors and soldiers for Christ uh, and as as our reading just now said, our weapon is love, and it doesn't allow us to sit on the sidelines anymore, right? We are called to be uh, to be servants of mercy, and so here we are. Uh, we are the day after Christmas. Uh, we have received the incarnation of Christ. Now, what are you going to do about it, right? Uh, as the, the Christmas carol says, go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere that Jesus Christ is born. This is not something that we can can keep to ourselves. And it doesn't have to be an extroverted, uh, you know, evangelistic uh, get up and, and with a megaphone and shout it. But it has to be something that is taken. It's made manifest in the world. And so right after this break, we're going to have a conversation with Charles Beard. He's a friend of mine who is a member of the St. Zeta Catholic Worker Community up in northeastern Oklahoma. And we're going to talk about what it means for the gospel to have flesh, right? To incarnate the gospel, just like God put on flesh to come to us. Now he asks us to be that flesh and to take his gospel to, to the whole world, to those people who are within our circle of influence. Join our conversation over on Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. I want to know what you think. Come and join our conversation about incarnational Joy ministry. The, world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. We'll be right back after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking with Charles Beard of the St. Zeta Catholic Worker Community in Green Country out in uh, northeastern Oklahoma. Talking about first day, second day of Christmas, two turtle doves, right? We're here we are in the middle of the Christmas season. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let her The king of the universe, joy to the world, the Lord has come. How was your Christmas? I hope it was good. We're sitting here and we're talking with Charles Beard, a friend of mine. And uh, I read the readings for today and I thought, you know, I need to get Charles. I need to get Charles on because this is just right up your alley, Charles. But first, thanks for being on the show. 
Of course, it's my pleasure. I'm happy to be back. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you too. Uh, we, we've got we've got several more days. We get to go. Depending on your proclivity, you can go all the way to uh, to Epiphany, or if you if you're just not ready to get those decorations down, you can take it all the way to the baptism of the Lord on January 10th uh, and still be completely liturgically accurate. Isn't that great? It is. We we generally celebrate Christmas until the leftovers run out. So um, I, I I know how much you love proper liturgy. uh so we're talking today about uh the readings of the day saint stephen and i find this fascinating that we go from uh christmas the incarnation of christ god becoming man right and and the church immediately without any delay jumps straight to the martyrdom of saint stephen and it's not like a movable feast right it happens 25th and 26th every year and here we are, and they say, okay, now not only has God uh, become man and incarnated the gospel to, uh, to us, but now it has to go a step further. And we, his followers, we have to incarnate the gospel to others. And anytime that we do that, whether it be through Christ's incarnation or whether it be through us incarnating the gospel, there is some sort of martyrdom. There's some sort of death uh, whether it be an internal one or an external one. It's a little bit jarring, isn't it, to move so quickly from from cute little adorable baby Jesus to uh, a man getting stoned to death, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the Christmas carol says something, I can't remember the exact term, but uh, that Christ was born to die. Mm-hmm. And, um, and certainly central to his preaching was the idea that we have to die to ourselves. Um and with uh, St. Stephen, we have uh, an example of someone who uh, literally did that, who was mm-hmm. uh, devoted to the poor and to uh, finding Christ in the poor, uh, but also in the church and proclaiming him to the entire world and was killed for that. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, a, you know, that's a, I won't say the central aspect of the gospel, but it's certainly uh, something very close to the heart of Christ's ministry, I think, is that... Um, as beautiful as the Christmas story is, uh, part of that beauty is is pain, um, because Christ was born to die. His mother's heart was going to be pierced, and you know she knew that very early on. Right. Um, and we find we find Christ in the pain as well as in uh, the good parts of life. So I, I want to talk a little bit about what incarnational ministry looks like, because here in the United States, at the very least, we have kind of insulated ourselves and we've set up uh, our professional ministers. Uh, and and then the rest of us, we kind of sit back and we hear their stories and we write a check. And that's well and good. I mean, we should be giving our resources to aid in the ministry of the church. Uh, but I think that it has to be more than just our resources. Uh, you know, when we look at the, yes. we look at Matthew 25 and it doesn't say, um, I was sick and you wrote a check so that someone would come and give me food, right? It says, I was sick and you, you came and visited me. I was hungry and you gave me food. Uh, and so here we have, you know, and, and I love this. I think it's a statement by, uh, St. Athanasius, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, whether it be you, Charles, or you, my listener, but it says that, um, Christ uh, God became man so that man might become God, right? Uh, not that we become div- divine, but we share in the divine life. Uh, we we That's become what, 
to the, the first letter of Peter, chapter 3, become partakers in the divine nature. Right. And, and so this is that, to me, to me, this is what the church is giving us in these two readings, going from yesterday in the incarnation to today in St. Stephen, is that we are called to be incarnational. I, I want to, to kind of clarify something, because incarnational okay. ministry or incarnational living um, is, is right on the verge of becoming a, a buzzword. Okay. I don't think it's there yet, but but in but in certain circles, it's this idea that you know, yeah, we're we're the real Christians because we're you know doing the work of the gospel. Uh, and I I want to, as much as I agree with the idea of living incarnationally, I want to kind of steer away from from any sort of elitism, saying we're mm-hmm. the better Christians because we do X, Y, or Z. Um, so having said that, uh, you're, you're absolutely right that a, that a big part of uh, Christian ministry, for those who are able to, and almost all of us are able to, is, is to get our hands dirty and actually step outside our comfort zones to find Christ where Christ said he would be found, mm. in the hungry, in the thirsty, in the homeless, in the imprisoned, um, in the dead. Right. Um, you know, prison ministry, for example, uh, is, is a really difficult ministry because— you know, you're dealing with bad people, and yet you read the gospel, and Christ says, "I am that bad person." Yeah, uh, and it's 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 difficult to understand, and and but you have to, if if we're going to take the Eucharist as seriously as the Catholic Church takes it, that the bread and the wine really become Christ, when Christ says, uh, I, "When you visited me in prison," then in a certain sense, that that murderer or thief or drug dealer is Christ. Mm -hmm. And so we have to try to understand how that works. And even if we can't understand it, we have to live as if it is true. Um, So that means, uh, you know, in in Catholic Worker, for what we do, uh, we, you know, my family, we provide hospitality for homeless women and children. Um, And uh, sometimes that's very difficult. You know, uh, when, when we get together with other people who do this sort of ministry, there's a lot of complaining of, you know, they never clean, they're rude, they expect this. And all of that is true, but we have to be able to look past the sins of the person and see that Christ came to earth to save this person, and not only to save this person, but to identify himself with this person. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, so that's what we try to do. It's, it's a matter of degrees as well, because we, we look at that person and we say, oh, oh they're, they're complaining, they're whining, they're, they don't clean up after themselves. Uh, Christ wouldn't want to identify with them, but you know, then you look at our, you look at us, and you're like, well, how often am I complaining and rude, and how often do am I always at my best? And if I were in extreme circumstances that were very difficult, would I be at my best? And right, of course. And Christ is coming to identify with me, and He's not just coming to identify with with the the righteous. Christ didn't come for the righteous; He came for the sick. He came for the sinners, and and so, you know, I think. As much as we need to identify and see Christ in them, which is absolutely true, I think sometimes even the bigger challenge is to see ourselves in them, to look at the other person yeah, that, and, and realize that we are on the same footing and that we, that there but for the grace of God, would I be in those exact same circumstances? Yes. One of the biggest lessons I've learned doing this, this sort of work is that uh, the sins I commit are are not substantially or not qualitatively different from the sins that I see um, the people we serve committing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, 
we we had a we had a woman once who was um, an ex prostitute, ex drug addict, and was you know doing okay. She was trying to get her life together when she got struck down with cancer. Well, because of her background, um, she did not trust men and saw men as something only to be manipulated. Right. Right. Well, uh, and she would do that to me. She would, you know, if, if I wanted to address an issue about cleaning or whatever. She would turn on the waterworks and say, well, you know, because my father was never around and all of that stuff, which was perfectly true. Um, but I knew that she was just trying to manipulate me, and it would frustrate me so, so deeply until I turned the eyes on myself and thought, how often do I try to manipulate someone at work to, to try to get them to do work that I don't want to do or um, to try to uh, – you know, I do this with my two-year-old to say, if you want to do this, then you have to do that. Um, which is a part of parenting, I suppose, but there's a certain <laughs> level of manipulation. And so the, 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 the difference is only in degree and not in kind. Yeah. And so not only do you, do you see Christ in this person and therefore see Christ in yourself, you can see sin in this person as well and then look at yourself and see the same sins. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a jarring experience. So here we have it. It's a jarring experience, and I think that that that's part of the taking up of of our cross. You know, the Holy Spirit, as we're allowing uh, the Holy Spirit to use us to minister to them, the Holy Spirit's also using them to say, hey, don't forget about this over here. And I think maybe that's why we have begun to insulate ourselves in the West, is because anytime that we get close to the gospel, the gospel gets close to us as well. And it's an uncomfortable thing. Well, the gospel reveals parts of yourself that you don't necessarily want to be revealed because we think that, you know, we're 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 basically good people. I I hold down a job, I pay my bills, etc. I uh, I'm I'm nice to my kids most of the time, mm-hmm. um, but uh, Christ says that's not good enough. I need you to, like Saint Stephen, lay down your life for the sake of the gospel. You know. I'm looking at this and we can talk about this and we can talk about the, um, the, the principles and, and even throw out these high minded ideals. Uh, but then there's the question of how do I even approach this? How do I get started in being the hands and feet in Jesus where I am? Because, you know, I mean, St. Stephen, uh, who were celebrating his, his feast day today, his martyrdom, uh, he was a deacon, so he was involved somehow in ministry. Uh, so me as a layperson who has a, a, you know, a day job and a daily life, and I'm, I'm trying to raise my family and do the best that I can, how, how does a person get started in doing the work of ministry and being incarnational with the gospel? The first step is to start volunteering, and I realize that sounds like a terrible cliche, uh, but I promise it's not. I will explain what I mean but you're going to have to come back after the commercial break to hear the rest of it. All right. Well, we do have to take a break right now. You've got amazing, uncanny sense of time, Charles. Uh, Join this conversation over on Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. Thanks for sticking through the break. We're talking today about incarnational ministry, talking with a friend of mine, Charles Beard. He is a member of the St. Zeta Catholic Worker Community up in northeastern Oklahoma in green country and talking about first steps. If, if you missed any part of this show, of course, you can go back and grab them on the archives over at OutsideTheWalls.com. You can listen to this show and every show we've ever done. Uh, so if you missed the last segment, it's going to help this segment makes sense. Go back and listen to that on OutsideTheWalls.com. So, Charles, we're talking about first steps, incarnational ministry. And you said, uh, as just kind of a preview, volunteerism, uh, go volunteer somewhere, is a great first step for someone who, you know, they've got their day job, they've got their life, they're trying to raise their kids, and they're also trying to somehow uh, live the gospel and do the things that, that Christ calls us to. So, uh what are, what are the first steps? What are the easy things uh, that people can do to kind of tiptoe into the waters of partaking in the divine nature and living the incarnational gospel? Sure. Uh, I, I would suggest uh, three first steps. Uh, I'm sure there are many others, and people can kind of mix and match uh, as they will. Uh, but the first step is just uh, setting aside some time to volunteer. Um, here in, in Tulsa, we have a, a really fantastic uh, Catholic charity system. Uh, they're always looking for volunteers. Um, you know, if maybe you have a Catholic charities where you live or a Salvation Army or a homeless shelter or a soup kitchen or any of a hundred different things um, that puts you, um, the non-poor person, in contact with the poor. Um, that, that is really the most important thing just to start um, in order to the, the goal ultimately where we want to get to is where you're living kind of cheek to cheek with the poor. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're not going to do that if you, if you don't encounter, uh, encounter the other. Um, so I would suggest that with your family, I know that people are busy, but you know, set aside one day a month, you know, the third Thursday of every month, uh, hell or high water, we are going to go volunteer at the soup kitchen. Um, and I, and I really strongly recommend that as a first step. Well, you know, now, if you're not, even if you're not like an, an extrovert, there are other things that you can do that are still hands-on. Like, uh, you could do a, a Habitat for Humanity house if you wanted to build something with your hands, uh, and there provides some interaction, but even if you're not, you know, that really outgoing person like, like Charles and myself, there's still things that you can do, uh, volunteering that put you, put you in contact with the poor. Oh, oh, absolutely. There, there's, you know, volunteer opportunities, uh, ministry opportunities uh, that fit all personality types. Um, with a Catholic worker, we serve lunch once a week um, at an apartment complex in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Uh, we've organized it in such a way that uh, people can kind of play to their own strengths. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's somebody who can't come, but they prepare the meal. And so they'll deliver it to, to us and we'll, and we'll take it. Or you you can be the person who brings the table once a week, and that doesn't necessarily require uh, like interaction or or it doesn't require an introvert to act like an extrovert, right? Um, or you could be the social butterfly like Timothy or me and um, chat people up. You know, um, just so- to talk about your social butterfly, uh, we went to Philadelphia together to see Pope Francis, and you saw people that you knew 
uh, that were not there to see Pope Francis. They were just there. And like three times people walked up. Hey, it's uh, Charles Beard. It's like, you know, everybody. (laughs) Well, that's cheating a little bit because I lived in Philadelphia for four years. It's a big Uh, city, though. I mean, you know. It, it, is a, it is a big city. It is a big city. And so it, it was really wonderful to to uh, bump into somebody and, uh, oh, hi, how you doing? You know, how's your mom? How's your son? It, it was it was a, a good experience. That's the introvert's nightmare. Uh, it, it is an introvert's nightmare. My, my, my poor wife, I introduced her to more people than she could possibly keep track of. And uh, <laughs> I feel a little bad. Not, not a lot bad, but a little bad. Okay, so after that little uh, segue, let's get back over to those three steps yeah, you were yeah, talking I'm about. Doing a show, doing a show. Okay. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the the second step is to find to find some way to uh, remove uh, further barriers between you and the poor. So, uh, what I mean by that is, say say you're volunteering in a soup kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. You're um, you know, you have the ladle, you have the soup pot, uh, the person being served kind of, uh, you know, comes up and gets their soup and thank you very much and goodbye. There, There is still a uh, sense that I, the privileged person, am giving you, the unprivileged person, out of my very bounty. You know, what a great person am I? Um, I'm not a bad thing. It's a very good thing to do. But there is kind of a kind of a spiritual danger there um, it, by maintaining any sort of boundary between you and and the poor person. So well, uh, there's beyond not, volunteering, there's yeah, there's not only what? there's not only a, a spiritual barrier there. There's also a physical barrier that we you know it's like uh, the person who gets up to speak and they've got the podium right. And well, here you've got the you've got the pot of something between you. Yeah, you've got the pot or the table or or whatever. Um, so, uh, again, in Catholic Worker, um, we don't look at it as we don't look at our, the lunches that we do once a week as us feeding the poor. It's we're eating lunch with our friends. Yeah. Um, so, so we don't feel any qualms about you know eating some of the food that we bring and just hanging out and becoming friends mm-hmm. with uh, people with the people who happen to live in this uh, apartment complex. Um, Again, I'm kind of coming at that from my perspective as as an extrovert, right? Um, but, but 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 introverts have their own niches as well. My my uh, long suffering wife um, will uh, will will watch people's kids while while we while we eat lunch, and and she loves that, right? Um, our our kids will interact and play with and hang out with the kids who live in this apartment complex. Um, it is amazing how, how, uh, oh, I'm reaching for the word, how segregated uh, the United States is, or certainly Tulsa, Oklahoma is. Right. Um, by race, yes, but, but also by class. Um, you know, you live, if you live in a middle class neighborhood, you interact with middle class people or rich neighborhood with rich people, poor people with poor people. Right. Um, anything you can do after you started volunteering to break that down. And that's going to be different for different people. So uh, I would encourage people to take a personal inventory saying, where where have I put up these barriers or where have these barriers been put up for me Right. between me and someone of a different social class? And what can I do to break down those barriers? You know, I, as you're talking about this, it brings to mind something in one of the Colossians. I think it's uh, 
first, but it could be second. There's only two. It's a 50-50 shot. Uh, where Paul is talking about approaching the Lord's Supper, and he's saying, you know, the rich go in and they eat their fill, and then the poor come in later and, and they have nothing, and yet we are members of one another. And so Christianity calls us to this radical uh, joining, right? This radical joining of of different cultures, of different races, of different classes uh, into one, and, and it's the great egalitarian equalizer of being one in Christ, Yes. The, in Christianity, in the gospel, the only social class that should exist is the social class of the beloved sinner. Hmm. Um, and anything we can do to make that a reality, not only at church, but in our daily lives, is a good thing. Yeah. So step one is to volunteer somewhere. Go and find some place that yeah. fits your personality and see what they need and begin volunteering. And that could be with the poor. It could be uh, in a, a you know, a pregnancy clinic, it can be in a Catholic charities, uh, all kinds of ministries need people. You know, we working in a church, we have this little saying that, you know, we can do anything we want. All it takes is uh, time, people and money. And, you know, there's plenty of that going around, right? <laughs> so step right. one, step one is find a need, uh, find a ministry that, that fits your values and that fits your, uh, your personality and get involved. And step two is then now begin to remove barriers uh, that either society's put up or that you've come to expect. Uh, what's step three? Step three is to ask yourself what forms of privilege you yourself experience. Privilege is, again, we talked about buzzwords right. earlier. That's a in, big in buzzword. Privilege is a huge buzzword. And so I don't, I don't want to be misunderstood and uh, think that I'm talking about that in, the, in, a, in a sort of secular sense. Right. Um, but what is the case is that in the United States, um, and certainly within the Catholic, within the Catholic Church, uh, there is a lot of privilege. The, as the Christmas carol goes, people who possess rank and wealth. Right. That's not a bad thing. But ask yourself, what can I do to divest myself of this rank? And wealth that's going to look different for different people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as we say every every day in the in the Magnificat, the Lord has cast down the mighty from their thrones, and has lifted up the lowly. Mm-hmm. Christ came as a poor person, as a not only as a helpless baby, but as a helpless baby born in a stable. Right. And he identifies himself with the hungry and the thirsty. And so, insofar as we do not have that lack, possessing lack is an interesting way of thinking about it. But if we don't possess that lack, that certainly could be a type of separation from Christ. Mm. And so, uh, you know, with a spiritual director, with your own conscience, with your own family, ask yourself, what forms of privilege do we have? And how can we divest ourselves of this privilege? Very similar to what St. Francis of Assisi did, divesting himself of that great wealth to better identify with Christ. Big conversations today here on St. Stephen's Day, day after Christmas. We'll be right back with more here on Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. Thanks for sticking through the break. Join our conversation over on Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. Find the archives of all our old shows at OutsideTheWalls.com. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. 
Let Earth Receive Her King. Here we are on the second day of Christmas. Did you know that Christmas is more than just a single event? I know the, the world, the, the city, the state, everyone else around us is sick of Christmas because they've been doing it since, uh, you know, October 31st. Uh, but Christmas is just now upon us. We've through the season of Advent, we're into Christmas uh, and we've got Christmas all the way through Epiphany. Or if you really, really don't want to take your decorations down, you've got all the way to January 10th, which is the baptism of the Lord. Uh, to leave your Christmas decorations up, sing your Christmas carols, do everything that you want to do now, uh, and enjoy it. We're talking with Charles Beard today, uh, talking through St. Stephen's martyrdom and talking about living in incarnational ministry. And Charles, you've walked us through, uh, one, what it looks like to be incarnational. And then two, you've given us some three very easy steps, uh, or maybe some very difficult steps, of beginning the process to, to live out that incarnational uh, bringing present, making manifest the gospel of Christ in our circle of influence. So now come, give us a picture of what that looks like. What was your journey into working with the poor? Sure. Um, started was probably, oh gosh, was it three, four years ago? Something like that. Um, there, there is a, a neighborhood in Tulsa um, where there's a, uh, a lot of poverty, uh, very concentrated poverty, um, not far from some of the nicest areas of town. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's, it's a very interesting as to how that, how that developed. But what a friend of mine decided to do was say, this is a place of terrible uh, food insecurity. People uh, can't afford to buy groceries, particularly uh, in the first week of the month, because food stamps will re-up on the 10th, I think it was. So mm-hmm. once a week, why don't we buy fresh groceries and take them to uh, to this particular apartment complex? And so I got involved with that. Um, my wife and I, and uh, we had two kids at the time. And so every Friday uh, at morning, I think at 10 or 11 o'clock, uh, we would uh, buy groceries. You know, we, I would run over to the Aldi and I would get, you know, bananas and apples and bread and uh, frozen meat and all that stuff. Right. And we would take that. Um, and this was, this was our first step. It was a once a week thing. It didn't actually involve a whole lot of interaction with the poor because we, uh, basically just dropped off the groceries at the office of this apartment complex. Um, and then the lady that worked there would distribute it kind of as needed, um, to the people who lived there. Mm-hmm. It was a, uh, uh, I guess a, a food pantry for this apartment complex. And that went on for about a year. Okay. Uh, the, eventually we were kind of asked to stop coming back because the owner of the apartment complex wasn't happy with our presence. That's a story in itself. Hmm. And we didn't do anything for a long time. Uh, step two was moving past just, you know, throwing food at people right. and um, trying to build a relationship. So we found the different apartment complex and we started serving breakfast. It's now lunch. We've been there for a year and a half now. Um, and we've, uh, become great friends with some of the people who live there. Um, I, it, it's amazing the, the comfort level that, that kind of has developed. Like if I step around the corner and my two year olds with me, I feel perfectly safe knowing that the people who live in this apartment complex are going to keep an eye on my two year old, right. uh, while I step around the corner to do something. Um, that, that form of building relationship has uh, manifested itself in other forms of aid. Uh, people have come to us to say, 
say, I can't pay my rent. And so um, our community has paid rent for people for um, for people who live in this complex. Um, we provide Thanksgiving meals. Uh, we did a funeral once for an unchurched person. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, anything we can do to to build the relationship, to to bridge the gap between uh, where we are and where they are. Let's let's go ahead and take the, the little bit of time left and and just mention that. This is the perfect time to start. This is the perfect time to start because in the church, we are recognizing a Jubilee year of mercy. I mean, everything you've talked about from whether it be the funeral or feeding the, the poor or everything that you've talked about is involved in the corporal works of mercy. Absolutely. And so, you know, it, we're going we're gonna to put up a post on our social media about those corporal works. If that's something you're unfamiliar with. Uh, I want you to go and read those. Uh, there's some great articles about breaking down each of the corporal works of mercy and the spiritual works of mercy. We're here in this year of mercy, uh, and and Pope Francis has called us to remember uh, that mercy is our mission, right? Uh, the incarnation was about reconciling man to God, bringing mercy to us. And now it is our job, as we read in that first reading, in that reading from church history, as soldiers of Christ to pick up that mercy and offer it to others. As, as, uh, as it, the, the saint told us, love is our weapon, our primary weapon, and it's the one by which we overcome all of these obstacles, all of these, uh, maybe these fears. Yeah, and I know that we're running out of time, uh, Timothy, but since it is St. Stephen's Day, uh, I'd like to just kind of reflect a little bit on uh, the the Christmas Carol, Good King Wenceslas, um, which, uh, according to the legend, happened on the Feast of St. Stephen. Mm-hmm. And in the very last little stanza, it says, Therefore, Christian men, be sure, wealth or rank possessing, ye who will now bless the poor shall yourselves find a blessing. So uh, if, I, if I leave your listeners with anything, I hope that uh, that's, that's what they take away from this show. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Charles, thank you so much for being a part of the show again. Look forward to talking with you again in the near future. Thanks so much, Timothy. Outside the Walls is a co-production of St. Michael Radio and Breadbox Media, heard around the world on terrestrial radio, live streaming, and podcast. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Thou shalt find the winter's rage Freeze thy blood less coldly In his master's steps he trod Where the snow lay dinted Heat was in the very sod Which the saint had printed Therefore, Christian men, be sure Wealth or rank Possessing ye who now will bless the poor, shall yourselves find blessing.